you remain standing for the reading of God's Word as we look at Genesis chapter 4 and then turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of all his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at its door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Amen. You may be seated. There was two women that went to the grocery store, and they were standing in line. One was a fit and athletic type, and the other was slightly overweight. And the one woman waiting in the line, the fit athletic woman, prayed and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other women, lazy, unhealthy, poor homemakers, or even like this unfit woman in front of me. I work out three times a week. I take care of the temple that you have given me by watching what I eat, and I only feed my family good and healthy foods. And the woman who was slightly overweight prayed, God, thank you for all that you provide for me and my family. We do not deserve it. Likewise, there were two men stopped at a red light, one with an older model high-mileage truck, the other in a brand-new Super Duty crew cab truck. And as they waited, the man in the older model said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, materialistic, covetous, show-offs, or even like this man in the lane beside me. I've worked hard to earn what I've got. I never wanted to be rich, and I don't act like I'm better than everyone else. The man in the new truck humbly prayed, God, thank you for all that you have richly blessed me with. I do not deserve it. These are obviously retellings of Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I read them online this week, and I thought that they were helpful to us because often when we hear Jesus' teaching, we think that we are not like the Pharisee. We don't think of ourselves as being better than other people. But the reality is that our natural bent is to think of ourselves better than others. And we do this quite often, and often by very foolish and, in many ways, stupid things. Perhaps you will catch yourself even thinking such thoughts. Sometimes I will take my trash out, and I'll look at my neighbor's trash and think, surely some of that could have been recycled. 
Thank you, God, that I recycle unlike my neighbor. Okay, maybe I don't say the last part, but I might as well be. Because in my heart and in my mind, I have made myself slightly better than others. Because how I do things always seems best, and I want others to be more like me. Which demonstrates that mankind's natural bent is always towards everything that is based upon merit. We have scales of acceptability, what is acceptable and what is not. And we assess people, we even assess ourselves on that acceptability scale. And too often, we do really well on our own scale, and others, well, they don't do quite as well as we do. But the question is, does God judge on such a scale or such a standard? Which is the question that I think is before us this morning. What is acceptable to God, and am I accepted before God? And if so, by what standard? How is it that I approach God? That indeed is the question as we come back to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, as we see the first of our two Old Testament figures, Cain and Abel. Two brothers, two sacrifices. One accepted, the other not. One justified by faith, the other condemned for his lack of faith and, in fact, his murderous actions. One that demonstrates true and right religion, the other that shows a man-made and false religion. And overall, it paints the story of what makes us acceptable before God, what it means to approach Him, not only in what we bring with us, but more importantly, in what manner we come before him in his holiness, in his presence. And the calling is to live by faith. And this teaches us this morning in which manner are we to live by faith. We'll see that in two points this morning. A God approaching faith. And second, a death defying faith. First, a God approaching faith. As we begin to look at these Old Testament figures, it's important for us not to just read them like they are good stories, good Sunday school stories that are meant to inspire and teach us some good life lessons, to dare to be a Daniel or to slay the mighty giants in your life like King David. Now, that's not why they were included. Rather, These are individuals whose lives demonstrate from beginning to end, really from Genesis to Revelation, that the righteous shall live by faith, that we are justified by faith and by faith alone. All of these individuals of these stories that we will look at in the coming weeks from the Old Testament were all justified by faith. They looked to God, just like we look to Jesus. They looked forward to him. We look backwards to him, but the object of our faith is the same, always will be and ever has been. Old Testament saints, therefore, are our fathers and our mothers in the faith. They lived by faith perfectly. No, praise God, because neither do we. But we can learn from them. 
what to do and what not to do and how to live and how not to live. And so these stories aren't just primarily moralistic stories, but rather how to live in relationship with God. They point the way for us in order to enter into that relationship. In a word, they teach us how to live by faith. And that is why the constant refrain throughout chapter 11 is by faith. You hear those words again and again and again. It's like the drumbeat of the chapter, and it needs to be so because it needs to be beat in our heads because we naturally live not by faith, but by sight, by the flesh. And so that teaches us again and again that it is by faith and faith alone. And so that brings us to verse 4 this morning. By faith, Abel. You might wonder, why is it that the author of Hebrews begins with Abel? Well, unlike Adam and Eve who saw God, who walked with God in the garden, Abel did not. Everything that he knew was taught to him, much in every way that we are taught. And so, therefore, Abel, in particular, was the first in the Bible to walk by faith. According to the definition of faith that we saw last week in Hebrews 11, verse 1, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Therefore, he is first on the list of those that walked by faith. But in what way did he walk? Well, we are told that he brought a more acceptable sacrifice than his brother Cain. Now, that may not seem like much, but it's actually quite significant. Now, much ink is spilled in commentaries on the fact that Abel brought a sheep and Cain brought a, some fruit of the field. And many commentators say, well, see, Abel brought the blood offering and Cain brought a bloodless offering. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, Therefore, Abel brought the right offering and Cain did not. That's why it was accepted. Now, am I saying that's not the reason or at the very least a reason? No, I'm not saying that. But I think the challenge with only looking at that is that Abel was a sheep herder. Cain was a worker of the field. And so they each brought what was natural for them to bring according to their profession. Abel brought a lamb. Cain brought the fruit of the field. It seems appropriate. And it's not like fruit of the field or a grain offering was never accepted by God. We know that from the rest of the ceremonial law. There were certain things where you could bring an offering from the field, and it was very much accepted by God. And so if we only look at that, I think we miss the point. And that all leads me to think that this has less to do with the offering and much more to do with the offerer. Not what was brought, but who brought it and the manner in which they brought it. And I think that is the point that Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 is making. And Genesis 4 seems to bear that out. You have your Bibles, look back at Genesis chapter 4. 
Notice what it says about Abel's offering. It says, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. In other words, Abel brought the first and the very best of the offering. The very first of his flocks was given over to the Lord. And the fat portions of those flocks and the fat parts were the richest parts of the meat. Those were the most calorically dense. Oftentimes, we trim off those parts because we probably get too much meat and too many calories. But for those that did not have meat all of the time, this would have been the very best. And notice, that is what Abel gave to the Lord, which means that there was preparation and thought to what was given. It's very much symbolic in his offering. Now, just back up one verse to what it says about Cain and his offering. And it says this, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Notice that's all it says, that he brought an offering. It does not say that he brought the first. It does not say that he brought the best. Just simply that he brought an offering. Nothing more. And so when you compare the two of those, what is said about Abel's offering, what is said about Cain's offering, it seems to be very stark. We do not know if Cain brought a good offering, if he brought fruits and veggies that were were the best of his garden, or if they were just kind of one step away from the compost pile. We don't know if they were like the fruits and veggies that you see in the produce aisle that uh, are the discounted ones where the fruit flies are always swarming around. You know the ones I'm speaking about. We don't know what kind of offering he bought because it doesn't say. Again, I don't think it necessarily matters. What matters is there was one that brought his offering by faith. And there was another who brought it not by faith. We can say Cain at the very best did his due diligence, but Nothing more. He checked a box. Bring an offering today. Check. And from outside perspective, from outsiders looking on, probably saw no difference between Cain and Abel, what they brought. Their mother, Eve, was probably proud of both of them for bringing an offering that day. But we know from the rest of Scripture that man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. And from God's perspective, these offerings could not be more different. One was pleasing and acceptable, and one was a stench before a holy God. Why? Because one who brought it was pleasing to God, and the other was not. So we read there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, right in the middle of it, that God commended Abel by accepting his gifts. Why? Because Abel was commended as, notice that, righteous. Abel was commended as righteous. And Cain was not. Not because he brought the right sacrifice. That would be justification by works. But because he was justified by his faith. He was righteous because of his faith. The Bible is 
crystal clear on this. We are justified by faith and not by the works of our hands. The Bible is very clear on this, but are we clear on this? Because oftentimes I do not think we are. It's not on what we do or what we bring that makes us right before God. We know it's what Jesus did and has done that makes us right with God. Period. Full stop. No ands and buts need to be placed on that statement. We are justified by faith in Christ alone. And beloved, this makes all the difference. This isn't just theological hair splitting. This makes the difference between true religion and false religion, the religion of God and the religion of man. Man's religion is always focused on what you must do. The focus is on do. You must be something. You must feel something. You must experience something. You must give something. You must pay something. You must do something. It's always on do. God's way is not on do because you could never do enough. The focus is on what is done, what Christ Jesus has done. That alone, my friends, is what is acceptable to God. And it's the only way whereby you will be made acceptable with God. And again, we know that in our heads, but do we know that in our hearts? Because we must. Because even if you could convert millions or give billions or help trillions, even if you could be the most culturally sensitive and aware person, if you could be the next uh, Apostle Paul or Billy Graham, you still would not be justified by all of that because you're not justified by your works. Again, if you are not in Christ this morning, let me make this clear to you. God does not want your money. He's not impressed that you are here or that you're listening to this sermon. He rejects your worship because good works outside of Christ are as filthy rags. He's not the God of spiritual brownie points. Oh, you did this today? Okay, I'll do this for you. That's not how God works. He's the God of faith in Christ Jesus, his son. And that alone is what God commends. That alone is what is acceptable to God. And that is why I think Jesus' parables of the the Pharisee and the tax collector is so relevant to this passage. In fact, Luke in there, in Luke 18, gives this commentary on specifically that teaching. Luke says, Jesus told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Notice, if we trust in ourselves, that is the very opposite of faith, walking by faith. And if you trust in yourselves, it'll lead to two things. It'll either lead you to think that you are right before God. It'll believe that you are self-righteous. Or the opposite is that you will despair because you believe that you can never live up to what God wants for you. But here is the good news, that we're not justified by work. We're justified by faith. 
And that means that there is nothing that can make you more justified or less justified than you are right now. So do not live like, well, God must really love me because, look, look at all that I do. I go to church on Sunday. I pay my tithes and my offerings. I go out and help others that need my help. No, that is not where we find our acceptability, nor should we live like the Father has a continual scowl upon his face with one eyebrow raised and his arms crossed because you don't ever mess, measure up because you've messed up. We need not win his approval. We need not win his love. That is an insult to God and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Nothing can make you more lovely than you already are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are as loved as the beloved, which is Christ. And if you have that truth be driven down into your soul as it ought to be, as you understand that we are justified by faith, then it really opens the door being able to worship God rightly. See, Cain's worship was fleshly. Perhaps he was doing it to please his parents. Perhaps he was doing it to please God. But it was worship that was seen. Abel's worship was that of the heart. It was heart worship unto the unseen God. Is worshiping as Jesus tells us to, to worship him in spirit and in truth. So here we oftentimes get caught up in these what's called the worship wars in the church, and we wonder who's right or we right, they right, who's right? The question is not that at all. The question is, are you right? Are you right with God? Because that's what matters. Focus is not on the external. No, the focus is much more on the internal. And that means that we don't come just to check a box. We don't come just because everything is right or or true worship. No, that can be very much offerings that are much like Cain's, that we are, well, we're doing the right thing, right? But rather, true worship is when we apprehend the God in whom we love. The God in whom we walk by faith as we present ourselves before God as a a living sacrifice. That is holy and pleasing to God as we see in Romans chapter 12. Yes, Abel gave his best because he gave out of faith. Gave out of love and gratitude to God. He was justified by faith and In the same way, you are justified by faith if you're looking to Christ and Christ alone. And if you are, then you can serve and you can do and you can give out of the right motivation, the motivation that is right and pleasing to God. And the Lord will accept that because you are accepted by God through Christ. I've had on my desk two little post-it notes. And they are from my girls. One says, I love you, Daddy. And the other says, you're the best Daddy in the world. 
I'm glad that they think that I am. Those notes, they have no earthly value. I couldn't sell them. I couldn't give them away. No one else would want them. And yet they are precious to me. They've been on my computer until they lost their, their stickiness and fell off. Those little notes are like our good works. They have no value in and of themselves. They don't earn anything before God. God does not need them. But when they're given out of a heart of love, they're invaluable and they are precious to the Lord. That's the kind of works, that's the kind of worship God desires. Come to the Lord with that faith and you will be accepted before him. Well, second, then we see this death-defying faith. You might say, look at what happened to Abel. Look at what happened when he walked by faith. He was killed by his brother. What good is his faith? Well, I tell you, it's much in every way. Because if we live by faith, then we will also die by faith, as Abel did. And precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And those that die by faith do not truly die, do they? They enter into a greater and more fuller life, the fullness of life, life forevermore. And so, yes, Abel was the first martyr, the first one to die by faith. We therefore can say that he was the first one to enter into the glories of heaven. He was the first sinner ever to be redeemed. No departed saint has been in heaven longer than Abel. He's the first one to enjoy what Paul says that what no eye can see, no ear can hear, no heart of man can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Abel's faith has been sight for the very longest. Why? Because he walked by faith. He walked in the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. He he gave unto the unseen God this offering that was pleasing to God because he gave it by faith. You can say that Abel, even though his life was cut short, he truly lived and does live. I've heard that phrase, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And Hebrews 11, I think, would say it's only those that live by faith that, that truly do live. And that's why the author says that though he dies, Abel still speaks. Because he points the way, he points the way of faith. We need not fear death. It's the way of true and everlasting life in Christ Jesus. Well, just a few points of application as we wrap up this morning. I think it's very interesting that Cain and Abel were brothers. They both had the same parents. They received the, the same teaching. And one believed and the other did not. The one was justified and the other was not. And we might want to ask, well, what made the difference? Was it Adam and Eve's parenting? Was it their environment? Was it their teaching that they received or, or lack of teaching that, that one received and the other did not? Was it their education? No. Not to say God doesn't use all of those things. 
but one believed and the other did not because it is by God's grace. God's gracious choice that saves and elects. And not for that, Abel would be just a son of hell, just like Cain. And the same would be for you as well. If you are in the Lord, if you are in Christ, if you're living by faith, that is by grace and by grace alone. And it's so that we do not boast because there's nothing to boast about. It only leaves us to be amazed and, and marvel. God would include the likes of us. May we not forget as we go through chapter 11 that faith is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Our faith is always of God. It is given to us. It was given to Abel. It's given to everyone that has had faith because it is all by God's grace. Second, Abel is the first on our list of those that walked by faith. And this hall of faith, as it oftentimes is called, and I, I think he's first on this list to encourage us because if the author of Hebrews began with Abraham or Moses or David, we might think, well, it's only the, the giants of the faith that are, are recognized or that are included, and we might despair. You might think, I, I can never attain to their type of faith. But that is not who's first on the list, is it? It is Abel. And as I said, there's not much that is known about him other than what we have in Genesis chapter 4. Next week, we have Enoch on the list, and we know even less about him. That's why I gave that one to Pastor Myers to preach on next week. We may not be able to know much about these individuals, but we know all we need to know. And that is that they walked by faith. God's not calling you to a great faith. You don't need a great faith. You, you just need faith. And many times it may be a small faith. It may be a, a weak faith in, in Christ. But you know what? That weak faith is a justifying faith because it's a faith in a strong God. It's a faith in a strong Savior. The one who is strong and mighty to save. Indeed, he can save even the likes of us with a great faith or even a, a small and unknown faith because it's faith in the unseen God. Third, it says, Abel, though he died, he still speaks, which says that there is a legacy of faith that far exceeds the grave. And that is important to remember. That helps us to keep our worldview rightly oriented. Your possessions, your power, your riches, your money will all die with you. But those that live by faith, that lives on. That still speaks and speaks volumes. So above all else, give your children, give your grandchildren the heritage of a saving faith, of one that loved Jesus and walked humbly by faith. That is far better than silver or gold. Abel still speaks, though he's been dead the longest, because he walked by faith. I close with this. Commentators have noted that Genesis chapter 1 is the creation of man. Genesis chapter 2 is communion with God. Genesis chapter 3 is the fall and being banished from God's presence. But Genesis chapter 4 begins the way back to God. 
and it's through Christ and Christ alone. And so let us not try to make our own way. Whatever we think is good, whatever path we want to go down, because oftentimes it's been told to us there's many paths to God. And we might think that my way makes me acceptable to God. No, it's God's way. And it's God's way alone that's in Christ Jesus that makes the way right, that makes us acceptable before him, and makes sinners right with a holy God. And Abel shows the way. He shows us that it is by faith and by faith alone. Well, let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we come justified, accepted, pleasing in your sight because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, even as we remember the words of the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, may we be reminded as your sons and daughters that if we are in Christ Jesus, then those same words are said of us. This is my Son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. May that truth overwhelm us and amaze us and have us to fall on our faces in amazing grace. Let us then rise and give you praise and give you worship and and give you the works that are pleasing in your sight, not because we are working our way or trying to win your approval. We've already received it in Christ, but let us live our lives out of gratitude and thankfulness for you. May we give good offerings just as Abel gave good offerings, and may we leave the legacy of faith because we walk by faith all for your glory and for your honor. Would you help us in this, we pray. We pray in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name.